0: Welcome to Backstage at the Enharmonic. I'm your host, Sean J. Kennedy. Today's guest is award-winning percussionist and composer, Dave Black. Dave is a prolific composer and arranger. He currently serves as Vice President and Editor-in-Chief, School and Church Publications for Alfred Music. In this episode, Dave shares stories about his youth and meeting Louis Nelson, and how it changed his life. Dave is the co-author of The Alfred Snare Drum Method, the world's number one selling snare drum book. I've used it with my students for over two decades now, and it has become the industry standard in snare drum teaching. I had the opportunity to meet Dave a few times, and to hang with him at the NAMM show in California, and having used many of his products over the years, he became sort of a hero of mine, because I'm a drummer and a composer as well and oftentimes when we meet our heroes they don't live up to our expectations however with Dave Black he surpassed everything that I had presupposed about him he's a wonderful guy an incredible musician and a giving person so I hope you enjoy this episode of Backstage at the Enharmonic. Hey Dave are
1: you there? I'm here. Oh great thanks for taking some time to be on the podcast. Thank you for asking me. I'm um, looking forward to chatting with you. Can you remember or recall something about the earliest memory you ever had of music having an impact on you in some way?
2: Uh, Yes, actually, I can. And it it actually pertains both to music and to um, drums. And we were living in Santa Fe, New Mexico at the time, and um, I was in elementary school. I was seven years old. Um Probably around yeah seven years old um second grade, and I just remember you know the the parade um going down main street and stuff and being there on the the side, and just that energy and that excitement when the drum line passed by, whatever, so I think that that was really kind of my first uh introduction into you know not only uh the music part of it, but just that the power and the the thrill of the, the drumline and, and and sync whatever going by whatever just really got me going. And so that was really it. I mean I, I never wavered from that. I did start off on guitar and that was strictly a uh and the um at seven years old, but that was strictly an economic um thing because we couldn't really afford Excuse me, a snare drum at that time or whatever. So, um, I bought uh, an inexpensive guitar to start off on, and then switched to drums in um, the fifth grade. But um, that's my earliest recollection.
1: Your drum lessons, I guess, they were through the uh, the school system. You joined the school band, and orchestra.
2: Yeah, and I studied. I, I I we had a really good elementary band or whatever. So I started in band, um, concert band, in fifth grade or whatever. While I um studied simultaneously privately through um, our local music and arts store.
1: Okay, and was it just drums, or did you uh, venture into melodic percussion as well or piano?
2: No, it was only um, snare drum and drum set at that time, but I had had um, you know, a couple of years of private study with guitar, so I, I was pretty... Um, you know, well-versed in scales and um, comping and chords and, um, you know, melodic content. So that was actually, it's funny looking back now, I always tell people who go into percussion or whatever that it's a good idea for them to study a a keyboard instrument or guitar or whatever just because it helps with the, the, you know, the information and uh, the, the transfer to mallet instruments and ear training for timpani and all the other things that go with it. That wasn't so much the case back when I started, um, but in retrospect, whatever, it was a great thing that we couldn't afford that snare drum because I did take guitar lessons, like I said, for those couple of years, and I think it, it helped me tremendously, um, you know, as I moved along my my journey because obviously in junior high school and uh, high school i started playing mallets in the symphonic bands and the all-state orchestras and stuff and then of course when i became a music major at cal state northridge my degree was in percussion performance with a minor in composition and i think without that training in harmony and and, and all that kind of stuff or whatever that would have been a little bit more difficult
1: Mm-hmm, right because now we have so much focus on total percussion um in retrospect it looks like a lot of guys that are you know in their 40s 50s or whatever accidentally almost had a total percussion background in their youth
2: it, it it's true but i had an incredible incredibly gifted and incredibly dedicated junior high band director named Clemmy Ween W-E-E-M-S. and at the time it, it was strange, but now I totally uh, understand what he was doing, and um, he was correct in doing it. He made all his percussionists. I mean, I can remember going to sectionals in, in seventh through the ninth grade or whatever where he would you know, take uh, a group of kids out of a regularly scheduled class to work with them, and with all his percussionists, he um, would go through and do um, – key signature flashcards with us, he'd use a tuning machine and, you know, set a pitch or whatever and then make it sharp or flat and ask us to tell him is it sharp, flat, or is it correct. And I thought, wow, that's kind of unique and different, you know, for, you know, him to do that to all the percussionists. Why do we really need to know key signatures and why do we need to know whether something is sharp or flat and whatever? But he, he was absolutely right because you know, in playing timpani and tuning timpani and stuff like that, that was all great practice for training your ears and stuff. And he knew that, um, you know, percussionists were musicians just like everybody else, and therefore they should have just the same kind of knowledge uh, in terms of music theory that everybody else had.
1: That's really great. Was so, uh, uh, he was so forward-thinking. Now it's more I commonplace. Mean, he was, uh, yeah, he
2: was there early in the morning before school left. He was there till six o'clock at night, working with students, helping um, students or whatever. And he was, I mean, really amazing that way. He would stop by, you know, uh, the kids' homes or whatever, and talk to parents about uh, practicing habits or if they were practicing. We were required to fill out a a weekly practice sheet and have our parents sign off on it, showing that we, you know, practice X amount amount of time throughout that week. And he was very proactive about following up with that stuff. And um, I think that was just an enormous, um, I, I, I would say he was one of the more influential or probably the most influential person in terms of me Becoming interested in music and wanting to take that path, because he was so dedicated, he was so, such a good teacher, and so thorough and so um, enthusiastic about it that I, it just it, it affected a lot of students in a very very positive way.
1: Was he able to see your rise in the music industry? Was he around long enough to see all of your successes?
2: Uh, he he is he's still around and um, oh that's great he, he's been um, uh, very well aware of that or whatever. Matter of fact, over the years I've sent him things that I've done. Um, one of the first concert band pieces that I wrote, I dedicated to him, and sent him a copy of that piece and, and a recording and stuff. And he he's very well aware of um, you know my career and what I've done and whatever. And and he also knows that. Uh You know any interview I do or anything that's ever been printed or written um he gets mentioned in that as you know one of my early influences and somebody who who did it the right way and who all teachers i think should um imitate so um yeah he's been very supportive and he's very he's he's thrilled and stuff he drives a bus now because he retired from teaching and he does it for fun, like for, um, you know, groups that want to go to Vegas and, mm, you know, mm-hmm. Atlantic City, stuff like that and stuff. But um, he, he's, a, he's a wonderful guy, very, very laid back, very humble. Um, he just was that, that combination of a, a great, passionate educator who was totally in it for the students and not for his own personal gain.
1: That's fantastic. So you mentioned your first concert band piece. It's one of my questions was going to get into that because, you know, when someone looks at your resume, you've done so much in the music industry. It's hard to focus on one thing. You mentioned your percussion. You played in mm-hmm. academic areas and went to college for percussion performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of listeners might be more familiar with you from the publishing industry. Maybe. Right. Um, when did you first start arranging? What influenced you? Like, how did that start? How did you? you know, you were a drummer, and then all of a sudden you are a composer and an arranger and a leader in the publishing industry. Well, that is
2: directly related to Louis Belson. Um, you know, Louis, as you know, was, you know, a world-class drummer, but he was also a, a, a well-known um, author and a well-known composer who had hundreds of tunes that he had written and re- recorded and stuff, and I just, you know, um that that was just a huge influence, and the way it started, and I, I've, I've shared this with some people, or whatever, is that we had our high school band was um, amazing. They were one of the best high school bands in the country, and we won a lot of major, you know, uh, national jazz festivals and stuff. And every year we would have uh, our big end of the year concert, which was called a swing in, and uh, there would be a different guest artist every year. We have. Park Terry, one year and Mundello the next and irby green and uh, and so on and so forth, and Louis Belson happened to be the guest artist with the band in my junior year of uh, high school, I was sixteen, and um, you know so he p- played a few tunes with the band and stuff, and then he and I played a tune together and did this drum battle and he stayed at our house for the weekend. He was given the option, and it just kind of this will show you what, just what kind of an amazing person he really was. He was given the option. He said, you know, you can stay with the kid drummer or, you know, we'll get you a hotel. He said, no, I'd like to stay with the kid drummer. So he <laughs> stayed at our house for three days. And my dad kind of drove him around and um, all that kind of stuff. So he got to know my family pretty well, and we just hit it off beautifully, whatever. He just kind of saw something there. And I, I, of course, was over the moon here. We had just performed together. He stayed at our house. And, you know, he went back to California. And I was uh, in Maryland at the time. I lived right outside of Washington, D.C. And so we kept in touch and stuff. and, And, you know, it was coming time for me to make choices for colleges and stuff. And I'd already... Uh, you know been accepted to the University of Miami in North Texas uh, on with with scholarships, and he wrote scholarship um, recommendations for me but in in one conversation we had, he said, "You know you might consider coming out to Northridge He says, "You know I live in Northridge and you can hang out with me and study with me and um, Northridge has a great jazz band with joel leach and so I did a complete turnaround in my it, in January of my senior year in high school, and decided to make the, the trip to California. And so it was through him, in terms of writing and stuff, I mean, hanging out with him, going to the recording sessions, uh, just having him talk, just like uh, my um, junior high band director, to, to drummers at his clinics and stuff about how important it is for drummers to know harmony and theory. and uh to be able to write and, and and understand how you know composition works in terms of form and everything else and um you know i started for extra money kind of working as a copyist for him and stuff and just um i don't know i just there was just a bug there that i enjoyed writing i enjoyed the fact that he was a drummer who was also a, a well-respected writer And that's how it got started. It was really him, um, because it was was the first time I'd ever heard of, like, oh, you can be a drummer and a composer at the same time. So that's how that started.
1: That's unbelievable. uh, Sadly, I never got to meet him, but, uh, you know, I have many of his recordings and have watched YouTube videos and just look like a wonderful, wonderful uh, human being.
2: Yeah, and the funny thing is, and it's not, this, this isn't, you know, to to pat, you know, to to blow my own horn or whatever, but it's funny to have met somebody at 16. He was such an amazing um, person to have in the house and such a great mentor. And you think, well, you kind of expect that. They go around the country, all these artists and stuff, and they're really nice to the kid drummer, to the kid trumpet player, whatever. And then they leave and, you know, you're not going to hear back from them because they've, they've got a life and stuff. So not only was it amazing that he would write all of us including my siblings and stuff but that he encouraged me to go out there that I went out there whatever and then you know later we ended up you know writing books together we had our own jazz band series um with barnhouse music um he recorded several of the things that we had written so it's kind of weird to think back on my little 16-year-old self on that one concert or whatever ended up being an enormous life change. And, you know, it's it's easy in retrospect to look back and say, well, you know, this was a turning point, this was a turning point, this was a turning point. But I always say that uh, having met Louis Belson and having him stay at the house in 1976 was... Um, the biggest thing that ever happened in my life, because it made me take a complete about face as to where I was going to go to college, where I was going to live. Um, through his guidance and teaching and his connections, um, it got me um, through the door in many areas of, of the music business and stuff. And so I usually credit him directly for uh, it's the biggest influence and, and the biggest change maker in my life for sure.
1: Wow, that's really incredible because you think, you know, when um, when these big stars come and talk to the kids, like um, many times I'm sure they don't realize that a simple, you know, attaboy or great job, you know, could literally change someone's life. So that's a great example of that. Yeah, and
2: what also happens is you expect, and now in retrospect, I know this even more, whatever, you expect for them to be, uh, complimentary and considerate to the bands that they're working or the students that they're working with or whatever, and they all say, you know, you know, good luck or you, you sound good or you've got some talent or whatever, but nobody ever usually goes to the next level and actually fills out, you know, letters of recommendation for college a- admission or um, you know, ask them to come out and and study with you and then. You know, because all of that could have been BS at the time or whatever. Who knows? I could have just been, you know, an excited 16-year-old like a deer in the headlights. Oh, Louis Belton is suggesting I go out to California and I can study with him and he'll do this, this, and this. And I could have come out here and been completely disappointed in the fact that, um, you know, he wasn't able to do the things that he said, that his intentions were good, that he was a nice guy, but that he was busy and that he had no intention of, you know, the things that he, we had talked about. And, um, boy, he's, that's, that's why people say he's, like, the closest thing to a saint in the world or whatever, because not only one of the nicest people in the world, but he just was honest, and he always did what he said he was going to do, always. So, you know, kudos to him for sure.
1: Right, mm-hmm.
2: and the other thing to add terrible. to that, the other thing to, I'm sorry, uh, the other thing to add to that. I mean, we talked about you know, 16-year-old and coming out here and you know, doing the writing together, whatever. And then, unfortunately, at the end when he passed away, I mean, I was one of the six pallbearers at his funeral. So, uh, and you know, in his wedding party. So when he married for the second time, so it kind of ended up becoming such a, a, a close personal, um, friendship as well as a professional friendship. So, um, I got very lucky there for sure.
1: Did you, through your high school, college, and professional playing career, uh, did you favor any instrument like drum set versus orchestral or anything like that?
2: Yeah, I basically was a a drum set player. That's what I thought I was going to do. That's what I was going to major in jazz, a, a jazz drum set player. I mean, I was, um, Fairly well-versed in concert percussion, and I liked it and, and studied it with Donald Bick, um, who was t- a teacher at the University of Maryland at, at the time. And so, you know, I, I, I practiced four hours a day, um, and mallets was part of that, and snare drum technique and, and, and everything else, but it was really, um, you know, drum set that was my first love.
1: Through all of your playing experiences, um, your experiences in the publishing industry, dealing with different composers and arrangers and A-listers, can you think of one or two, like, pinch-yourself moments where you're thinking, wow, I was, you know, that 16-year-old kid back in Maryland, and now I can't believe I'm right here doing this.
2: Yeah, there are a lot of them. Um, wow, that's a great question. Um, I mean, there, it, it, there's... So, so many of them. I I can take you through a few of them. Let's just talk about, you know, uh, my job here at Alford over the years or whatever, editing um, band music and working with band composers. When I was in junior high and high school, we played concert band pieces by Warren Barker and John Kenyon and John Kakavis and um, uh, Frank um, Erickson and stuff. And I remember them very well because I've saved every program I've ever played on. And then to think, you know, you know, moving ahead 20 years or whatever, I mean, would I be editing and recording Frank Erickson's music and Warren Barker and John Kakavis and stuff, you know, after playing their, their pieces for years, who would have ever known that I would have been in that position? And the same with um, you know drummers and everything else. I mean, I, I mean, I studied out of Carmine's you know rock book growing up. I studied you know we all started with the Ted Reed book and the Jim Chapin book or whatever. I mean, you know, I m- met Ted Reed. We I was part. I was the reason why we have that book because I wanted to go after that and purchase it and stuff. So the, there are just tons of moments like that where. Um, you know, I, I've gotten a chance to, to, you know, work with writers like that. I mean, Steve, Steve Smith. I mean, we've talked about mm-hmm. Carmine a piece. We've talked about um, Louis Belson being published with us. We're talking about just about everybody. And I mean, through my either hosting the passive Convention in '91 or being on the board of directors, or you know, all the other things that kind of go along with you know, being in the industry and stuff or whatever. I mean, there's not, as far as um, drummers or percussionists are concerned, there's not one of the greats that I don't think I have, uh, I haven't met. Wow. I mean, I studied with Ed Shaughnessy. I studied with Nick Cerroli. I studied with Steve Schaefer. I studied with Louis Belson. I mean, you know, I've worked on books with Roy Burns um, at Shaughnessy, I you know it, it it just goes on and on. So I, mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty lucky. And then living here in L.A., of course, you know I I can go to any club and see these um, drummers. I mean Dave Weckle, I bump into at the local car shows sometimes, or because he's a car guy. <laughs> um, but so it's just very easy. It's just very normal to kind of go into a guitar center or pro drum shop or whatever and just see. Um, anybody who's anybody I mean Hal Blaine is a good friend Um, you know so that's from the percussion side I mean you know working with Mitch Peters on the timpani books and stuff and Tony Cerrone on his books and uh, it's yeah it's kind of weird and the same with composition I mean you know with um, you know playing and, and and writing and stuff I mean I've had the pleasure as you know of you know, meeting and working with John Williams and Howard Shore and uh, Alan Silvestri and uh, Patrick Williams and Jorge Calandrelli and, uh, you know, you know know the Bergmans pretty well and Quincy Jones. And, you know, it's just – it sounds like name-dropping and stuff, and that's not what my intention is, but it is one of those – they're all those pinch-me moments or whatever that you kind of – Uh, look at those icons and go, you know, they're bigger than life and stuff. But yet all of them are just very sweet, humble people who are interested in giving back to the community and giving back to students and are willing to do uh, seminars, talks. They're willing to uh, show up and lend their expertise um, to a classroom and stuff. And so um, that's been really – uh, amazing for me to watch or whatever again it's another inspiration thing it's like you know when somebody of, of that level is it, that humble and is willing to give back or whatever it just it makes me and hopefully everybody else uh, you know want to want to pay it forward um, just as much
1: hmm yeah it's similar everything you're mentioning there meeting all these folks and stuff I, I could share with you a story it's I've used your books and things for years. Um and then finally a few years ago when my I mentioned that at the NAM show. What was that?
2: I said my condolences.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Um but your snare drum book, drum step book, etc. And I've seen your name all over the place and I can remember like going, Wow, this is the Dave Black. Like that, you know, that I've seen on all of these publications. And again, you were so generous and humble. Um, and you know, it's just everything you're saying about these other folks you've met. I've seen with you too. So thank you for that.
2: Oh well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. It's 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 just a, it's. I, I mean, I try and live by that, and I, I'm I love mentoring young students now and whatever, and have several that I mentor whatever, and I always tell them you don't owe me anything. You know what? The 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 best payment that you can give anybody is just when you. Get ever get into a position where you can help somebody else or you can be a mentor to somebody, whatever, pay it forward. That's about the best reward and payment that anybody can get. And so I try and live by that motto um, anyway. And because I think good energy and what you put out there um, comes back to you twofold or whatever, and that, um, you know, we all need to be doing that. So... It, especially now because it's such a tough business and it's getting tougher and, and you know, um, I, I just think we, we, we need to just kind of pull together and, and help each other out a lot more, actually.
1: Very well said, exactly. Do you listen to music for pleasure? Because you're in music all day, when you leave the office, you know, are you excited to listen to music in the car, your iPod or anything like that?
2: Uh, sometimes. Yes and no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's funny, because you're right, I have a piece of music in my hand every day, and especially when I was doing all the concert band and string orchestra editing and stuff, I mean, I'd have to listen to those pieces, I'd record them, I'd edit them, then listen to them again after they had been pieced together, and, you know, on and on and on. And so I I love that, or whatever, and yes, I still do sometimes, you know, if I've listened to a lot of music in one day, whatever, I the car ride home will just, I, I just want quiet. Um, but I do enjoy listening to music and I enjoy going to, to see live music. So, yeah, I, I still buy, you know, plenty of CDs and stuff and I still listen to a lot of music. It, it's funny because there's not a lot of new artists and stuff that I will go out and buy, but... I love still, I mean, Motown, the 70s, um, all the classic jazz stuff or whatever are still things that I kind of um, listen to. And I, most of the time in the year, whatever, so because I have such a big CD collection whatever, is I'll bring two CDs, uh, two different CDs every day to work or whatever. And so I have um, a CD player at my desk. And that's what I do. I just pick, uh, you know, two CDs every day whatever and play them while I'm, I'm, I'm working. And so I'm always kind of keeping up with what's going on or, you know, reminding myself what a great record or a great piece, uh, you know, something was. So, yeah, I, I, I still very much enjoy listening to music.
1: Do you have any activities or hobbies or anything outside of music that you're passionate about or just do for fun?
2: Uh, yes, photography.
1: Mm-hmm. Photography
2: is a major um, a hobby of mine, photography and travel. Um, and actually, I have, I've, I've won a couple of photo contests, and I have uh, a website and a couple of books on photography. The website is uh, www.daveblackimages.com. And so um, that's what I do for for relaxation and and to kind of get away from, you know, the writing and the listening to music all the time. Um, And what's interesting is that I find that there is really a lot of similarities in the two. I mean, you have to be um, patient um, with photography, just like you do with writing. It has to have the right amount of balance, uh, um, just like writing a piece does. And you know what I mean? It's got to have you know the two-thirds rule and the one-third rule, and it's got to be. It, it just you know it's got to tell a story like a piece of music does. So it's very, it, it's very much like music. Only it's a visual medium rather than a, a, an oral um, medium. But it it it, um, it it accomplishes the same goal. I mean, you can listen to a piece of music that somebody's written, and it can take you to that that country or that place or whatever or, you, you know, conjure up all kinds of, you know, emotions and stuff. But a, a photograph can do exactly the same thing. Uh, it can convey sadness, uh, happiness. It can convey, you know, um, a, a struggle. It could be take you someplace to a foreign land or whatever that you've never been to and you feel like you're looking in, 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 into a window, uh, you know, kind of thing into that whole whole country or that whole culture. So I I am very passionate about photography. I don't get to do it as much as I like, but when I do travel, that's my big thing is photojournalism.
1: Underneath this podcast, I'll put links to um, your website and your uh, photography website as well, so listeners can go and uh, check those out and visit your pages.
2: Okay, that's great. That's awesome. Thank you.
1: So that's about it. Dave, thank you for taking the time to answer uh, my questions, and um, I hope to see you again soon.
2: I hope so too. Thank you very much for asking me. Thank you for all your support, and you know, I, I'm just as proud of what you've accomplished in your career too. I mean, I've seen it, you know, blossom now for the last several years, and it's kind of fun to see um, somebody who is is gaining that kind of notoriety and stuff and watching them grow and stuff. And I appreciate the fact that you, you know, keep me posted and you send me links of things that you're writing and doing and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm very proud of you.
1: Thank you very much. It's very meaningful to hear you say that, and uh, I'm humbled. Thank you.
2: My pleasure.
1: All right, Dave, I'll talk to you later.
2: Okay, thank you.
1: Okay, bye-bye.
2: Bye.
0: Today's soundtrack is from the Louis Belson album, Airmail Special, a tribute to big band masters. The song is called In Roy's Corner, an early collaboration of Dave Black and Louis Belson. You can purchase a copy of this selection directly from Dave's website, DaveBlackMusic.com. And please be sure to stop by his photography website, DaveBlackImages.com. Both links will be posted under this podcast. Thanks for listening.